Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Come be that for us. Let it be our experience and not just our prayer. That's what we ask now. And ask for your help in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Sometimes Frank sings songs that I know are coming, and sometimes they sneak up on me, and that was one that just snuck up on me. I don't know about you. I just, whoo, took a minute for me to deal with that. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 4, and so I'm going to invite you there. Um, Collide Weekend, awesome testimony. I heard several more this um, this morning. I was um, sitting there with the students for a little bit. Incredible uh, as to how God worked. Now, um, all of you people um, who volunteered and helped and drove and let people stay at your house, thank you so much uh, for how you've invested. Uh, it, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Thank you for that. Um, and for all of us, every one of us, as we think about this weekend and as we see God do things in the lives of teenagers and in the lives of our own children, this is how I'm praying and this is how I invite you to pray. You know when you install an update on your phone or whatever and you like open it up, it's like, oh, press this button, do this thing, and then like it's there, but then you, you kind of wait for, hey, what's new? That, that's how I'm praying, that God installed some stuff this weekend, I believe he did, in the lives of these teenagers. And now, God, we just say, Lord, do, do, do what's new in them. Let that software update stick, so to speak. Because, Monday, well, in this case, Tuesday's coming, and they go back to school. And so, I, just, I would encourage you uh, to pray along those lines. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Kyle kicked off a series, uh, our series, called Unashamed. And uh, uh, we have been working through that for a couple of weeks now. Uh, last week, uh, we read this verse together as kind of a focal point for us. Uh, and so I just want to put it up on the screen and us read this together out loud. This is from Romans chapter 1, verse 16. If we had a verse that kind of wraps this whole series up, this should probably be it. So get your eyes on it, and then I want us to read it together. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Ready? Read with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's good stuff. Um, there is a rule. Anybody have any realtor friends? I've got a couple. Anybody have any realtor friends? Uh, they publish funny things about all sorts of funny real estate stuff that happens, but there's one single rule that you always apply in real estate, and what is that? Location. Location, location, that, that, that's the one rule of real estate. And so today I want to uh, just kind of let that springboard us into thinking about what is the, the location of our worship. This unashamed theme deals with our worship toward, uh, offered to God and our, our witness offered um, to those around us who, who need the witness of God. And so uh, we're still in the front part of that. The, the, we're talking about the worship that we offer to God. And so last week we talked about how it is uh, um, uh, we, we would waste our lives like that woman when she could marry crack the, the nard and poured it over Jesus, uh, that we would be wasteful in that way, wasteful of our lives in that way, extravagant in our worship of God. And so I want to um, now pick up on where the location of our worship goes. Okay, so in John chapter 4, 
If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. And if you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event and track along right now. I'm going to start in verse 16 uh, and read down. Really, we're going to lock in on uh, a couple of verses there in the middle of the passage. But I want to start in 16 to catch some context. Jesus said to her, this her is a Samaritan woman. Uh, She's a half-breed. She's a social reject. Um, And they've been having this conversation about living water. And she's still thinking earthly. And Jesus is talking eternal. And so finally, Jesus just brings it down. Um, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Now, you talk about an awkward conversation. I don't know if you had one this week or if you're going to have one. You got one coming up. You just know, or you just bump into somebody, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, this is weird. You can't get any weirder than that. Hey, listen, we've been talking about living water. Oh, let's just jump past all that. Go call your husband. Well, I'm I'm not married. That's right, because you've been married five times, and you're shacked up with a guy right now, but technically, he's not your husband. You're right. Oh, and then what does she do? She does what we are all prone to do with our sin and our shame when, we, when it gets found out. She tries to find any unique place that is close, that is quick, that she can just shove it under and keep talking. Nobody's guilty of dealing with their sin and shame like that, right? In here, anybody? Okay, I'm just checking. Um, For her, uh, she uh, shoved it under a theological controversy. Like that was the umbrella, okay? So here is her response, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. If you are a writer in your Bible, you can just write, no duh. I mean, right there. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on, the, uh, worshiped on this mountain. That's Mount Gerizim. I'll explain more about that in just a second. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, hour is coming when neither uh, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, and he'll talk some more in just a second. Um, she took her sin and her shame and she shoved it under theological controversy. People uh, do this, you know, in in various expressions these days. It's probably not about two mountains, but, well, do you believe in Calvinism? Do you think that tongues are still for today? All this kind of stuff. Questions that, listen, we would so rather talk about the minutia of life than the stuff that makes our life. And Jesus is having none of that. He's having none of that. And because he's like a ninja, uh, Jesus is able to deal with her emotional issue uh, of, of reckoning with her sin and shame and her theological issue at the exact same time. He's brilliant. Verse 21, excuse me, verse 22. Um, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So I want to talk this morning um, from those three verses there, 22, 23, 24, uh, about locating our worship properly. We talked about extravagance last week, and now I want to talk about locating it. And the place we want to locate it is in spirit and in truth. Those two things, in spirit and in truth. So let's talk about locating it in spirit first. Um, The the way that I said this is, uh, it does not matter where your feet are, but what, it, what matters is where your heart is. When we talk about locating worship in spirit, 
Uh, Jesus is saying worship is a spiritual experience. It is a, it is a, we enter into the, if you will, spiritual realm when we worship. This is how it's designed to be. So for us to locate it in spirit means that it does not matter where our feet are. It matters where our heart is. This is um, what was going on then? Um, the the uh, Samaritans. Very very brief history. Um, after King Solomon, uh, the the kingdom of Israel was divided between a northern half and a southern half. The northern half ha- held in there for a couple hundred years, uh, and then they got attacked by the Assyrians, carted off, and the people who got to stay got intermixed and intermingled, and were uh, now no longer ethnically Jewish. They were ethnically Samaritan, and so uh, they were kind of half breeds. They were rejected by the Jews, outcasts. Oh, these are not people that you want to hang around if you're a good Jewish person. And so what they had decided was, um, well, you know, we still have a mountain that we can worship on. And so we want to continue to do that. There's a mountain called Mount Gerizim and um, there is a uh, a mountain in Jerusalem and the Jews can have that mountain, but we're going to keep this mountain. And by the way, we've got some high places here where we should worship up there and the Jews, they can have their temple. That's the controversy. Uh, Your father's worshiped on this mountain. You say in Jerusalem's a place to worship. That's what she says. That's the controversy um, that, that he's dealing with. Um, his whole point, the whole point of Jesus, though, is that when we worship in spirit, it doesn't matter where your feet are. It matters where your heart is. It matters what's going on inside of you. Students, listen, I am stoked for all the things that God did for you this past weekend. Um, every major movement of God in the Western societies that we know of over the past 300 or so years You know where it started? With young people. It started with young people. So in some ways, all of us with more miles on our tires than you, like we need you to step up and lead us in some ways. I'm saying that to say, you don't have to, listen to me, you don't have to be a collide to experience God and worship God like you did. It doesn't matter where your feet are. Listen, it matters where your heart is. Now that's the truth for the rest of us too. All you people over here in this section, that's the truth for you just as much as it's true for these 80 kids up here. It doesn't matter where our feet are. It matters where our heart is. We enter into the spiritual things, into the spiritual realm when we, uh, when we worship. So uh, students, man, I just... I'm, I'm asking you, step up into that and watch the church blaze right behind you. We're, we're with you. Lead, lead us um, in that way. Uh, so the, the, what happens when that occurs is uh, these external things do come along. That's sure your body responds and, and uh, uh, all of that kind of stuff. But listen, the externals, the external expressions of worship only uh, matter to the degree that they reflect what's going on inside of us. Only matter to the degree that they reflect the, if you will, the, the, the cardiodynamics, the things that are going on in our heart. The Bible describes three things that happen in our hearts in worship, and I just want to briefly um, say these things out loud to us. You ready? Here's number one. Uh, when we worship, one of the dynamics of our heart, uh, when we worship, one of the dynamics is joy. We, our, our hearts are so uh, filled up with who God is and what he's done that out it comes, just out it comes. 
The, the second one is a sense of longing, or um, sometimes it's expressed as faith. Like, man, I, I'm, I, like, I'm not really connected with what, th- what is happening in this moment, but I want to be. Or, God, I, I see that you're at work here, and I, I feel a little distant from it, but man, I, I'm believing that you're going to do something here. Longing. And the last one is sorrow. Um, sorrow can be a part of our worship that we come to God and we say, God, listen, I'm dry. I'm empty handed. The best thing I have to offer you is that I showed up today and my honesty in saying, here I am. I don't have much to say. I'm not sure I can sing the things that are on, but I'm bringing you myself. And that's all I can say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that's what, that's what I got. That's what I'm bringing today. Um, joy, longing, sometimes expresses itself as faith and sorrow. Let me just paint a picture here. And if you as, are a member of our church for the past, I don't know, six or seven years, you've, I've used this illustration uh, about six or seven years ago. Let's pretend we go out uh, to a Mexican restaurant after this. Everybody good for that? By the way, we take no cut from any Mexican restaurant. So what, if you think this is an ad, that's not. Okay? So you're sitting there eating chips and salsa. And uh, having a good time. You got some queso on the table now. Got your drinks. Uh, you're eating. What do you want? I'll take the enchiladas. This my uh, partner here is going to have the salad, taco salad. And you're just eating there, right? And all is well in your world. The, the um, enchiladas come out. Uh, hot plate, sir. Please don't touch it. Okay. Here's your salad. Big old taco shell. And you got, like, all is well in your world. Until. All of a sudden, you hear it from the kitchen. I mean, it's a mile and a half away, but you hear it. And then you smell it. What's coming out? What's coming out? Fajitas. Yes. 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 It's coming out. And so here it comes, coming around a corner, and it's there, just steadily going, right? And then it's not just, like, it's not... Bad enough. I mean, it is. It's bad enough that it's in the restaurant at all. But then, like, it's it's get put at the booth right behind you, and so you're enchilada, and you got taco salad, and then you've got fajitas, and the person who ordered the fajitas now is just rejoicing in all things good and godly, right? Like, here I am, and I have cow. And it is on a hot plate that I'm not sure has ever been washed, but who cares? Because it is amazing. And there is onions and pepper. And I have flour tortilla, because who in the world puts fajitas on corn tortillas in Texas? And it doesn't really matter how you make this thing up. I mean, you fold that sucker up, drop some meat in there. You can put rice, no rice, beans, no beans, doesn't matter. I mean, you just, you just have the mix there. You drop some queso, some salsa, it doesn't really matter. And you eat, and as you eat, you think to yourself, God is so good. Look at what we get. We get fajitas. Yes, Lord. Joy. The dynamic that's happening in your heart right there is joy. But that's not the only dynamic in worship. Like, there's also, there's also the longing dynamic because I'm sitting there with my enchiladas and I think to myself, man, I wish I would have ordered fajitas. I, next time I come, this is the expression of faith, next time I come, I'm going to get fajitas. My enchiladas were good up until that point. And then now you're like, oh, I mean, they're still good. But like, I could have more. I could have fajitas. Longing. And then you got poor salad person. 
who's just sitting there going, what an idiot I am. I could have had meat and instead I've ordered a garden. What kind of person comes to a Tex-Mex restaurant and gets a salad? You don't go to the Chinese place and get macaroni. I mean, like, who does this? I'm that person. Woe is me. I'm never going to order a salad again. Ever. Sorrow. You get it? The dynamics of the heart are worship before God. And sometimes we come in here and our hearts are full. Students' hearts are full and they're blowing it out, man. We sing his mercy is more and it just comes raging up here. Sometimes we have longing. Oh God, we want that. We need that. But it's not ours yet. We want it. So bring it to us. And sometimes it's sorrow. God, I'm just as empty as I can be. I need you to do something in me, for me, with me, whatever. And all I know to bring to the equation is the emptiest vessel that I can bring, and that's me. All of the externals follow. Sometimes there's joy and people just erupt. Sometimes there's longing and they they ache a little bit. Sometimes there's sorrow and there's tears and kneeling and repentance and all this kind of thing. That's what's going on. When we talk about worship in spirit, those are the dynamics at work. It doesn't matter where your feet are. Students, Wednesday's going to come. Next Sunday's going to come. Thursday's going to come. And you will have the same opportunity. Tomorrow morning, you can get up, all of us, tomorrow morning we can get up and open our Bibles and meet the same God that y'all met this weekend. The same God who's here with us now, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. The one who has mercy, um, where a sea of mercy where he casts our sin and there's no bottom and there's no shore. We can meet that God and our worship can be in spirit. That's, that's in spirit. Secondly, um, it, we, we locate worship in spirit, yes, but also in truth. That's what he says. Um, verse 23, the hour is coming, now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In truth. And the way, the phrase that I would put with that goes something like this. That we don't get to define God for ourselves. And we don't get to define ourselves for God. We don't get to define God for ourselves. And we don't get to define ourselves for God. Uh, the, the Samaritans, and, and typically uh, we, we kind of put our finger on the scale of one or the other of those. Uh, the Samaritans were, they defined themselves for God. They, they took the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, called the Pentateuch, uh, and they took kind of a weird translation of that, and that was their sole scripture. That's all they knew of God right there. So they didn't have the full revelation of the Old Testament. They didn't know the ways that God had continued to work and continue to move. And then he had set up David as a king and, and brought his son Solomon and, and the temple and all that. That's why they continued to worship where they worshiped and how they worshiped. They did not know the rest of, that's why he says, you, you worship what you don't know. You don't know. Here's what they expected. They, they lived their lives just like they wanted to. And they expected God to come along. Married five times, shacked up with a sixth. They lived their lives just like they wanted to. And they expected God to come along. 
I know nobody in here has that problem either. But we don't get to define God for ourselves. The, the Jews had, uh, if that's the Samaritans, the Jews really had their finger on the other side of the scale, defining themselves for God. Um, the Jews accepted everything in the Old Testament, uh, but what they missed was its meaning. And so they, they hitched themselves to, uh, to, to this train of thought. I'm going to live as prescribed. But what they got lost in was a national, the, the pursuit of a national identity and the preservation of a tradition. I, I, I think if I'm just adherent enough, things are going to change. Problem is, God doesn't want to change things. He wants to change you and me. He wants to change you and me. They expected, um, not, not that they could live how they wanted to and God would just come along. They expected, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they expected God to be glad that he was on their team. Listen, God, we, we give and we came and we sang. We hosted the collab group and blah, 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 blah. we did all these things. Man, you must be really glad that you're on my team. Again, I know nobody in here struggles with that, but we don't get to define God for ourselves and we don't get to define ourselves for God. Only the truth can liberate us from that. And so I just want to take just these couple of minutes here to wrap up with a declaration of truth of who God is. If we locate worship in spirit, in the spiritual realm, and let our hearts do the work, let, let the things happen inside of us, and we locate worship in the truth, uh, and, and in, the, in the gospel of John, the truth is always pointing to Jesus. I am the way, the truth and the life. That's John 14, 6. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light has come into the world. In John 6, he's the true bread come down from heaven, true drink and true food. I mean, on and on and on. The, when we talk about the truth, locating in the truth, it's always pointing us to Jesus. So what I want to do is just have a minute where we point to God. Who is God in light of these things? Here we go. Verse 23. But the hour is coming now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Who is God and who are we in light of that? I would just say this to you. God is the great pursuer. I don't know if your feet hit the ground this morning. You thought, man, today God's in hot pursuit of me, but that's the truth. He is seeking. That's what he says. Verse 23. He is seeking such people. Only one other time in the New Testament is God said to be seeking anything. At the end of the Zacchaeus story, John, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 19, the son of man, Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. That's what he says. He is in hot pursuit of you. And you think to yourself, no, there's not a God up there. He wants me to find him. No, 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 no. You would never find him ever. Doesn't matter how many retreats you go to, uh, how many insights you have, how many times you even read the Bible through. Listen, you won't find him. He finds you, and that invites you to participate in that relationship with him. You are the pursued. And you think to yourself, there's no way that I could ever be pursued. I mean, have you seen, listen, he pursued five marriages and shacked up with a sixth. He pursues you too. Who is God? Who are we? God is the great pursuer. Secondly, <clears throat> he is worthy. He is worthy. When the hour is coming, it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father. They will worship the Father in spirit and truth. This is the kind of people that God's seeking to worship him. He's worthy. 
we have a whole life full of things that call forth our worship that are not worthy. You have things in your pockets right now begging for your allegiance and your attention. It's not worthy. You have opportunities out in front of you. You have opportunities that you're making for your kids. Not worthy. On and on we could go. All sorts of things in our lives call forth our worship. Only God is worthy. And he is worthy. He is worthy of everything that we bring to him. Thirdly, he's, a, he's our father. He says twice here in verse 23, uh, true worshipers will worship the father, spirit and truth. The father is seeking such people to worship him. Father. Meaning what? He's the creator and you and I are creation. You and I are specially made by him. We read the verse a while ago and we dedicated, baby Lena, that God knit us together. And you think to yourself, there's no way that God put me together. Like, no, listen, God put you together. God did. He's your father. And that's some, for some of us, that sets off, sets off some alarm bells. I don't have time to deprogram all of that. Just to say this, that, that God, is, God is the perfection of all of that. He's the perfect, he's the perfect father. And you are his creation. And lastly, starting in verse 25, I just want to read down a few more verses. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word. It's the same thing. Messiah, Christ. Uh, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Clear claim to being the Messiah. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled at what was talking with a woman. No one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Christ? And the last thing I would say is that he, he is... Um, he is our father. He is worthy. He's in pursuit of us. And listen, he's the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And that makes us the rescued ones. God is the one who has come for us. God is the one who has pursued us. Not to beat you down, not to whip you into shame. He wants to transform your life and rescue you from the situation and the circumstance and the relationships and all the other craziness that is your life. He wants to rescue you from those things to make you into the image of Jesus. That's what he wants to do. He is the Messiah. And we, we are the rescued ones who deserved, who deserved all of the uh, uh, penalty that comes with our sin and our shame. We deserved all of that. Instead, God sends the Messiah, Jesus. The Father sends the Messiah, his son, to die in our place and for our sins. Taking on our brokenness, taking on our sin, taking on our shame so that we don't have to bear it. We worship, we bear witness. Come see a guy who told me everything. He's the Messiah. And we are the rescued. And as we've done the past umpteen weeks now, it feels like, I think what, what honors God in these moments is just for us to have a minute. We don't have many minutes these days, but just to have a minute. There'll be some questions that pop up on the screen here. You, you don't have to write them down. Just take out your phone, snap a picture. That doesn't bother us. And we'll just take a moment to, to think, to pause, to reflect, to pray. Some of you may need to come down here and, and um, kneel here or kneel at the benches there and just have some sacred space where you set some things before God. Maybe you come alone. Maybe you bring your family. 
Um, some of you uh, may need somebody to pray with. There'll be some people at the back. We'd love to pray with you. Some of you need to know that Jesus is your rescuer. And you need to give your life to him today. We'd love to talk you through that process. We'll be at the back here. Frank's going to come and lead us. If you want to sing, stand and sing. If you want to stay sitting, that's fine. There's freedom here. and We want to invite you um, into that. So let me just offer a prayer, and then we'll have a moment to respond together.